The Accutron Show. Accutron. It's not a timepiece. It's a conversation piece. With your host, Bill McCuddy, and contributors, Scott Alexander and David Graver. I realized he was the same age as all the men who died in this battle. I called up Millennium and I said to them, I'm coming back. I want to make this movie my way and I just recommend everybody get out of my way. The voice you heard at the top of the show was today's guest, director, screenwriter, and former film critic Rod Lurie. He's here to talk about the movie industry today. But first up, me, Bill McCuddy, culture writer Scott Alexander, and editor David Graver. We're discussing where Hollywood is going in this day and age. All that and more on this episode of The Accutron Show. Stay tuned. What's your favorite movie about war? Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket. Indeed. You know what's funny about that is that one of my favorites is Paths of Glory, which was also made by Stanley Indeed. Kubrick. Yeah. Scott? Right. I love Jacob's Ladder, which is not <laughs> mostly not a war movie, but it is. it has wow. a really interesting tie-in. Uh, to war and to Vietnam. Do you know what's fascinating about that movie? It was on what's called the blacklist out in Hollywood, and meaning it Unsold was unproducible scripts. for you. There's like a famous bunch of scripts, and right. that was one of them for a long time. It made the rounds, and nobody wanted to make it because they Line. couldn't get into it. And then Adrian Lyons said, "Yeah, no, this is how we do it." And then a, that performance from Tim Robbins is is just in a bathtub of ice cubes. That's and, right. And what's real and what isn't? That's the thing that scares a lot of people. And we're going to have a, a special conversation today with. Uh, a man who knows real and not real, and it has one of my favorite movies of this year called The Outpost. Oh my goodness! Uh, on one ne- of the it's best- on Netflix, so it's easy to watch, yeah. which is great. I mean, I watched it last night. Jeez, I also watched it last night. An amazing film. Writer director Rod Lurie, who used to be, as we said, uh, a film critic, which is something oh, my, and a one West of my other Point jobs, cadet. and a West Point cadet, and uh, so has Bill. For- this means there's hope for you to get into West Point. <laughs> no, I'm you're gonna you're gonna make it one of these years. I thought you said I was gonna sell a movie. No, no it's no, not no, gonna no. happen, is it? No, <laughs> that is cadet. I, I I could go to uh, West Point if they said drop and give me one. <laughs> cadet McCuddy, <laughs> I drop and give me one. If I were the filmmaker behind the outpost, I would be pretty upset that it was going to be seen at home first yeah. and not in theaters yeah. because of yeah. the scope and the scale of the experience. Well, all How, war movies that if, that they they put that giant spectacle on the screen the scale of a movie theater is really important to a war movie. I saw the uh at the Uptown Theater in Washington DC this giant rounded almost screen. Uh I saw Apocalypse Now for the first time. And literally, the helicopter comes in from one side of the right. theater and goes out and the goes other out side of the, the side. theater. Yeah. I do think a main theme of this film is the sensation of feeling trapped. The location is trapped. Yeah. And to watch this, my television at home is not entirely small, but to watch this base on my home screen, I felt an enhanced claustrophobia. I felt trapped. I felt trapped with the soldiers. And I think that will add to the effect too. So I actually went to one movie during quarantine. I saw Tenet in the theater in Jersey. Yeah. I, I can't do it. I can't get, I can't get anywhere uh, from Long Island. And I, so I haven't seen anything. I almost went to Hoboken to watch Tenet in a movie theater. I wanted to see it so bad. And then I didn't, David I just couldn't bring myself went to, to do it. to New Jersey? The closest <laughs> movie theater from Manhattan that was would seat people for a yep. tenant was in New Jersey. Yes. I called. I the, went there. I called the Is studio. That That's where I went. I hope. I asked the studio where it was playing, and they wouldn't tell me because the studio didn't want to be responsible for telling me to go to a public theater. And I, I and so I don't. You know, 
as a critic on PBS, I'll get like a DVD soon, but that's a movie I definitely wanted to see. Same. But I do think that movie theaters are going to come back. I think they are these giant event spaces. They're already built. Whether they're used exclusively for movies is one thing. They might, you know, a lot of these places have been transitioning to full dining experiences. Once we're able to inhabit these spaces again, I do think they've been designing experiences that people actually want. I've also had several friends just rent out theaters. You can just rent out the right. entire yeah. theater. And play video film. games on the big screen. Like, exactly. I don't have David Rockefeller as one of my friends, but yeah, I mean, well, it's I, not that expensive to rent out a movie theater. They are desperate. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's let's put you on push a money in a bunch. And of in people. fact, during during COVID, you can rent them because as long as you're ensuring the safety of your bubble, all right, they're yeah. not like they're open for business. They're not endangering the public by being open. Yeah. To, for rental, maybe we can talk Rod Lurie into making this podcast into a major motion picture <laughs> that we can all go and watch in a real. Theater. I already optioned it to someone else. <laughs> so last night, I also watched The Contender for the first time ever. Oh, that, oh my that movie was so far ahead of its time. Back then, they were saying like, "Oh, a woman will never be vice president." <laughs> Don't be silly. <laughs> this movie's very far fetched. I was so, so caught off guard by the power of all of the performance, like so many performers coming together, ensemble casts. Jeff Bridges does this thing that I'm sure. Donald Trump did all the time, which is call down to the kitchen and go and try and stump them. Like, I want banana, walnut, chip, ice cream. And like, he wanted a I have, news, <laughs> I have news for you, Bill. Yeah. Uh, Donald Trump has never stumped that kitchen. He, he wants a hamburger. <laughs> Every single day. A steak and a big piece of chocolate cake. And they have that ready to go. Apropos of this conversation, uh, the movie The Outpost is not that political for a war film. So we will ask him it's about- It's beautifully apolitical, yeah. I thought, actually. It's, yeah. an, it's incredibly sympathetic to its subjects. These guys who are put in an impossible situation, as I think people in the military are done, is done all the time. They're not in charge of making these decisions, but they're the ones who have to carry these things out. We are incredibly sympathetic to you, our listener, and thank you for joining us. In a moment, Rod Lurie joins the conversation. Stay tuned. The world runs on Accutron time. Accutron watches since 1960 from New York City to around the world. Rod Lurie is here, and he's ready for his close-up on the Accutron Show. Rod, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Oh, great. How are you guys? Well, we're good, but we've got questions. Now, uh, you're, okay. you're, you're, <laughs> okay. you're out in that Hollywood. Sounds very, that sounds uh, extremely daunting. Go ahead. <laughs> you're in Hollywood. You have one of my favorite films uh, this year called The Outpost, and... Uh, mm -hmm. I just wonder what the plan is now for taking it out and getting it in front of Oscar voters and whether you think we're going to have uh, an Oscar celebration in, in April and what it's going to look like. Well, it would be very surprising to me if we didn't have a, uh, an Oscar celebration. There still were movies released in the year, and there's some actually some rather extraordinary movies that have been released uh, this year, and it would be a shame if they don't go recognized. and. And not only that, but you know, frankly, it's uh, the business is too the Oscar business is too big a business to simply dismiss for a year, especially when it can be put on. It's important for the Academy, it's important for ABC, it's important for the business, and it's important for all the people who uh, you, know, you know would normally be recognized in this year. It would be a shame if Mank, which is a very uh, you know a terrific film. Yeah, that's uh, coming to Netflix. Recognized. I know that's uh, and and that's about the making of Citizen. That's about the making of Citizen Kane. It's more about Herman Mankiewicz himself, and you know, and, and what he went through as he was uh, making Citizen Kane. Gary Oldman is fantastic in it, my man Gary. Yeah. <laughs> and there's the trial, the trial of the Chicago Seven. Is you know, that's a really great film. It's a lot I really of fun. Like that. 
Yeah, and I really like that movie, um, um, uh, The Way Back, right? The um, yeah, the, ben, the Affleck. ben Affleck. Yeah, I was just yeah. talking to him the other day, and and that you know that is a good example of something. I hope it doesn't get lost uh, going forward because it's you know it came out a while ago. But that I really think yeah. is one of his best performances. Yeah, you know, you know, I'll, I'll give you this much. I think it's not only one of his best performances. I think it's one of the great performances of an alcoholic that I've ever seen. And you know, when I was on Twitter, I was writing about that film and writing about that performance. And I was comparing it to Paul Newman and The Verdict, and you know, I got a lot of blowback for that <laughs> because that's sacrilege. But I think it's a you know a. a great performance by ben affleck it's one of the i think it's so i hopefully that is recognized and so yes i do imagine that there is going to be um an academy award uh, academy awards as for the outpost which is uh my film you know i i really do hope that some of my team uh gets recognized i really really want to see that i want to see caleb Andrew jones and scott eastwood recognized I really want to see Lorenzo Senatorio, just amazing cinematographer who did things that had never been done in the history of cinema in this film, uh, get, you know, get recognized. Our editor, Michael Duffy, it would be a shame if they didn't. So we're, we're you know, we're going to try to get it out there. We're going to, you know, do our best to have as many Academy members as possible see it. You know, we're, we're, uh, we don't have the biggest budget for it, but we have, you know, enough to get DVDs out there and, try to get, um, you know, our team out there a, a little bit. And, um, you know, that's really what these nominations are, are about. They're, you know, they're about sort of recognizing excellence, and, and I want to see my guys recognize. Well, speaking of superb performances, I, I watched The Outpost last night, and I am still shaking from Caleb Landry Jones's performance. It ruminated through me so intensely. I can't even imagine what it was like for you to oversee sustaining intensity like that. Well, th that's that's a really good and interesting, uh, you know, question or statement that you're making there, because um, I, for one, think that Caleb's performance in uh, in this movie, playing uh, Ty Carter, who received the Medal of Honor for what he did on October 3rd, 2009, is, um, you know, it's it's truly one of the great combat performances of all time. And I'm very specific about the use of the word combat as opposed to a war performance, because what what he is able to do there to show the to show the interconnection of panic panic and courage and and uh, and steel and fear um in 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 the same sustained moments it is simply um it's simply remarkable you know Ty Carter was a is a very interesting character he was largely disliked in uh, in that unit in Bravo Troop 361 calf People thought he was a d people thought he was an asshole. People thought that he was arrogant. And um, Rod, for what it's Rod, for friends. what it's worth, we hear that all the time on this podcast. <laughs> but yeah, I just wanted to stop. I also yeah. just, about, about Bill. I just wanted to stop also and say to anyone who doesn't know, this is a real story as you're laying it out. Yes. And th mm -hmm. this is yeah, it's, uh, it's a true story. These guys were stuck basically in a hole. Right. They were in the bottom of the, of the Hindu Kush mountains, but eventually it was certain that they were going to be overrun by the Taliban. This is about the day that that happened. But I want to tell you that, you know, Caleb Landry Jones, this is the guy from Get Out. He played the brother in Get Out. He was a guy that was thrown out the window in three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. And the first time that I met Caleb, I, I, I met him on the recommendation of um, my producing partner, Mark Friedman, who had worked with him on Stonewall, where he played a drag queen. 
And when I met Caleb, he shows up. Now, you got to remember, Ty Carter is a stud. He's like extremely bulky and well-built and athletic and, you know, and the man's man type. And um, he, so Caleb walks into Mel's drive-in restaurant. He must, he was skinny like olive oil from the Popeye cartoons. <laughs> he had hair down to his ass. He was stoned and, you know, he really enjoying the, you know, the, the new uh, laws allowing marijuana use in, in Los Angeles. And, you know, he was sort of giggly and, you know, a little hyper. And he's like exactly the opposite of what this guy is in real life. And, but I, I sat there just convinced of his acting chops and that he could transform. And in fact, when, when uh, I sent to meet Ty Carter, Carter calls me and says, this guy's going to the gym, right? I mean, he was really stressed <laughs> because it's not how he wanted to be portrayed. But then I learned something, which, you know, I'm not sure I've shared before, which is that um, Caleb has a brother who uh, was a Marine who had both of his legs blown off in Iraq. And Caleb's brother uh, apparently read the screenplay and told Caleb, you're making this movie and you're not going to f*** it up. Wow. You're just not going to. And uh, Caleb came to me and said, okay, I'm going to do it. Can my brother come to, to Bulgaria or wherever we shoot this and help? And I said, yeah. And so the brother does show up. And, um, you know, he really helped Caleb through this. It, it was, and, and so Caleb did go to the gym and, he, you know, he did work out and he did bulk up and he did become military. And, you know, he didn't touch a joint on any day that we were shooting. And he was very solid. And, I, I believe this guy should get an Academy Award nomination for one of the great combat performances in the history well, of cinema. As I said, it's one of my 10 best this year of everything I've seen. I haven't yeah. seen Mank yet, and I have to see a couple of other things, but uh, I'm very well, impressed you know, with there, the film. There are some, yeah, thank you. Well, there, there are some really, some really good movies coming out, and, you know, and everyone deserves its day in court. And I will tell you that um, we, you know, we worked very hard on this. We had uh, very, very little money to work with. It. The budget on this movie was like very, very small, and the um, and our schedule was very short. And so, you know, this re just required a lot of military style efficiency to even get the movie made. But and, you had you to know, be disappointed that uh, you probably envisioned seeing this on a big screen the way you saw well, probably Apocalypse Now the first time uh, or something, mm -hmm. you know, that going back to even your critical days. Uh, and, and so you must be a bit chagrined by the fact that we are having to watch movies, albeit on a large home screens in some cases. Still, this is a movie I would like to have seen in a theater. A bit, a bit chagrined. I mean, to me, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was semi cataclysmic. Yeah. You know, and I remember, yeah, I remember seeing Apocalypse Now when I was a teenager in Hawaii and, uh, and, and seeing it on the big screen and, and couldn't believe my eyes. And I remember seeing the Deer Hunter on the big screen and Platoon on the big screen and Full Metal Jacket and all the, and Private Ryan and, and of course, I won on, on the big screen. And not only that, I, I designed the movie for the big screen. I, you know, the apertures that I chose, the lenses I chose, the sound effects that I chose were all designed for this film to be seen in, in a theater. And uh, it has been seen in a theater in a couple of instances. But, you know, and those people that see it there, I promise you get a far different experience, although it's still a good experience at home. You know, of course, you know, we, we were going to screen this uh, premiere at 
twice. Once was at the South by Southwest, and and that's exactly when the pandemic hit. It was in March, and so that was a goner. And then, guys, I was going to do something that was going to be unbelievably special to me, which was we were going to do the world premiere at West Point, which had never done that before. They got a spectacular theater there called the Eisenhower Hall. I was a cadet at West Point. I graduated from West Point. I was this really shitty cadet, and I had always dreamed that I would come back and stand on that stage one day in some form or other, speak to the cadets, and here was my dream going to come true, and that went out the window. And then our 700-screen um, you know, uh, um, uh, distribution went out the window, and we had to um, premiere on VOD. Now, it, it's the number one movie of the summer on VOD, um, released in the summer. And, it, you know, it's done really well. It's done exceptionally well on, on Netflix. Many, many millions of people have seen it. But you're right. I mean, it's 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 a bummer that I, people can't see it on, on the big screen. A real bummer. Rod, you mentioned going to West Point and you mentioned the film mm-hmm. uh, being made with this sort of military precision. And you've made, you know, uh, some more movies and movies about the military. Um I'm super fascinated by the fact that you went to West Point, but then you came out and became a journalist somehow. What was that transition like? Well, you know, most, you know, first of all, I believe that West Point's probably the best education you can get in the world in terms of it, you know, how fully rounded it is. And, you know, I was, you know, you're required, or when I was there, you're required to have more or less major, which for me was international relations, but you're also required to concentrate on uh, engineering. So I studied thermonuclear engineering. That's a very odd combination. But the result is that when you get out in the real world, you know, you've got a real sort of in-demand educational skill set. So, you know, we, we all go into various professions. Some people become politicians. Some people become doctors. Some people become lawyers. I became a journalist. But, I, but I'll tell you this. When I went to West Point, I had every intention in life of becoming a filmmaker. Because, you know, well, look, I I don't view film school as a way to go if you want to be a filmmaker. I think you should go and study what you want to make movies about. And I've always been interested in leadership and principle. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a better school uh, for leadership and principle than West Point or, to a lesser degree, Annapolis. I say lesser degree because there are competitions. (laughs) But... At the but, at the beginning you know, of the so, movie, uh, Caleb's character is a is a little weedy and a little maybe disappointing. Was there any of your disappointing cadet at West Point in that character? Uh, yeah, he was probably a, a better soldier than I was a <laughs> cadet. I mean, I, I, I was a really bad cadet. I, you know, I, you know, I'm not sure that I did serve my time in the military. I was probably a better officer than I was a, a cadet. But, you know, I didn't take well to discipline. I didn't take, uh, you know, that well to the to the military uh, environment. I was more of a poet and a lover type and and, um, and and still am. But, you know, I'm very proud for having gone there. Really, really proud of it and really proud of my and I love the military. I love the military vets. And, um, you know, it's my my movies have been about um, politics, concentrating more on uh, on sort of progressive uh, politics, and um, and I guess a little bit the military and journalism. So those are like my three loves, and uh, that's sort of what has um, you know what I can what I've combined in my career thus far. I'm very curious if this was your most challenging movie to make. 
it's a very it was physically extraordinarily challenging to make we got hit with one crisis after another as we were making this film and uh, you know a series of crises that would have sunk any any movie and completely obliterated off the face of the earth and it was just one thing after another but you know there was a real sense of of determination I'll tell you something that happened to me uh, while I was making this film that you may or may not be aware of, which is that when I was in, in prep on the film, I got a, I received a phone call that my son Hunter was in the hospital in Michigan, that he had had a cardiac arrest. And um, I'm in Bulgaria, and, and the nurse tells me that he's not going to make it. And, um, you know, I can try, I can try to come to Michigan, but he won't be alive by the time I get there. And I, I got on a plane and I told my my wife and my ex-wife and my daughter, you just get to the hospital room and you keep talking to him, keep him alive until I get there because I can't have him die without my being there. And I <clears throat> I got to Michigan and he was still alive and I had to make the decision with my ex-wife to... Um, remove him from all the devices that were keeping him alive. And as when they took apart all the devices, the nurse tells me he's got 20 minutes. And in that 20 minutes, as I'm watching him take his last breaths, my daughter tells me, I know, Dad, that, you know, your instinct will be not to go and finish this film, but now you really finish it. Because if Hunter knew that he was responsible for it would just destroy him. And the split second that he did die in front of my eyes, um, I realized he was the same age as all the men who died in this battle. And I called up Millennium and I said to them, I'm coming back. I'm going to make this movie. I'm going to make this movie my way. Because, you know, they, they tend to make, uh, you know, action films. It's not what I wanted to do. I want to make this movie my way, and I just recommend everybody get out of my way. So if you don't <laughs> want me to come back, if you don't want me to come back, I won't come back. But if I'm coming back, you need to be prepared. That I've got a, a resolve now that you can't even begin to fathom. And so we ran into so many problems when I got back. There were financial problems. Then our lead actor, Scott Eastwood, broke his ankle, and I had to figure out a way to shoot the movie on a, with an actor with a broken ankle. You know, we, you know, we uh, we didn't have the extras that we needed. We didn't have the location that we needed. It, the whole thing was so extraordinarily difficult. But I must say that, you know, fueled by this determination that I was going to make this movie for my son now and I was going to dedicate it to him, there was just nothing that was going to get in the way of stopping this movie. And, and I must say that the, the, the studio, the crew, the actors, it seemed the entire country, and the families of the fallen of these men that died in this battle, they all got behind me. And, and, and you know, I still can't believe that we made this film. If you, you know, the, the budget was way, way below $5 million on the ground. Yeah, that, that just blows me away because it looks unbelievably good. Yeah. It looks right, expensive. It looks like a, yeah, well, yeah. I, and, you know, part of that is the bang for the buck that you get in, in Bulgaria. But I'm telling you, that when you have a crew that is willing to work their asses off for you and for the movie and for its cause and for the people that it represents, 
you know, when you have people that are that, the motivation there was incredible. Plus, on the other thing that happened was that on the uh, set, we had with us Ty Carter, the guy that Caleb plays. We had several other soldiers from the battle. We had several vets that were actors. So nobody was going to pussy out on a movie where you had the, you know, these, you know, these right. warriors there who right. had been through so much more than you have. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, this was an ungodly hell to make this film, but we made it. And, you know, and we're we, and I think that you can see in the in the completed film sort of the, the sweat brimming, not just from the actors, but from everybody that was involved in the making of this movie. I'm curious about the, the other side of things. You have wrangled tremendous ensemble casts for the mm-hmm. outpost, for the contenders for The Last Castle. Mm-hmm. You must have run into some challenging talent. Well, I mean, you, you're always going to run into into challenging talent, and but but I, but I must say that if the director can create, it's up to the director to create an atmosphere, and on on a set, and and I think that mostly on my movies, the actors have not only behaved well but have led well by by example. But you know there are there are unique challenges on on movies. I you know obviously some people have behaved behave like dicks, and I'm not going to say who they are. But I can tell you. But I you know but I can give you a couple of you know a couple of initials. Fun <laughs> no, you can't do that. But, but but let me let me let me tell you this. Sometimes you run into into odd. Uh, conflicts. For example, I'll give, I'll give you an example. I don't think I've ever shared this before. On my movie Resurrecting the Champ, Samuel L. Jackson plays the lead character, and the other lead is played by Josh Hartnett. And they're very different personalities, these two guys, and they work very, very differently. You know, on uh, on the movie, I would go into Sam's trailer every morning to see how he was doing as his makeup was being applied, and I would um, discuss, you know, what the scenes we're shooting that day and what I saw as the motivations of the character that day. And about three days in, Sam said, you know, Rod, you don't have to come in here in, uh, anymore. I know what I'm doing. I know what the character is. I know what the motivations are. If I have a question, I'll ask you. But, you know, you really don't have to do this. And, in fact, Sam was extremely well prepared and was very frustrated when he had to do more than two takes. In fact, he was frustrated when he had to do more than one take. Because somebody often say after a take is there, perfect. And he would go, if it's perfect, why do we need to do it again? And I would say, well, because maybe you can do it more perfect. Or do it different perfect. Or, 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 do, it, or do it different perfect. Josh Hartnett, on the other hand, like many actors, you know, because we don't have really that much rehearsal time before we start shooting, needs to discover the scene and needs to discover what he's going to do and needs five or six takes maybe. So what do you do when you have an actor who's emphatic about uh, doing a scene in one take and another actor who gets frustrated if he can't, you know, go six or seven takes even. And that becomes a bit of a, you know, a bit of a challenge. And so what I did is that I would often just do one take, but I would do several takes within the takes. So, I would, before the scene would end, I would say, go back to the beginning and just start again. And so in, in the mind of Sam, we were in one take, and in the mind of Josh, we had done six or seven takes. And 
so sometimes you you know you have to sort of navigate actor issues um, in 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 that way. You know, I did a movie with uh, called Nothing But the Truth with um, with Vera Farmiga and Kate Beckinsale. And Kate uh, Kate's a fantastic actor that hasn't gotten her due from uh, the critics, but she was brilliant in my in my movie and. But she needed, um, she didn't need several takes, but she studied like hell uh, the night before um, she was going to do uh, a scene. Uh, you would see her script and there'd be notes all over it. And she would know what exactly what syllables to inflect. And Vera was, um, Vera was somebody with every take, the flames will come out in a different way. And the way hmm. you open up a furnace, you know, the flame will come pouring out in a different way. And so on every take that we would do with those two actors, Kate would be almost exactly the same in every take, and Vera would be, you know, completely different in every, in every take. And so that was an interesting challenge uh, as well. But, you know, mostly, I'm, you know, I've gotten really along really well with my actors, and they've behaved very well on my sets. Rod, this is uh, picking up on something you said before. I'm not sure if it's anything, but you said when I was on Twitter. Is that a past mm-hmm. tense you're using there? Oh no, no, I'm I'm still very much no, I'm I'm still very much on. Twitter. What is your relationship to social media, if you don't mind me asking? Well, no, I love being on social media. I'm on I'm on Twitter and uh, and I'm on uh, Facebook and to a you know a smaller degree I'm on Instagram. I I really haven't you know, conquered that, but I'm, you know, I'm tweeting six, seven times a day and um, either it's about the app post or it's about, um, it's about the election or it's about politics uh, in general. And, you know, it's interesting while I was putting out uh, the app post, Jake Tapper, who who wrote the book upon which this base told me, you know, you need to chill out a little bit because, you know, I'm so dramatically anti-Trump. And he says, you know, because we're going to lose all those people. And so I, I did chill out uh, a little bit, but sometimes I just couldn't help myself. I was so infuriated and I felt like I needed to uh, to, to say something. Rod, like, I, it's so interesting for me to hear uh, that you're kind of on the progressive end of the political spectrum because I found the outpost was almost apolitical in a way. It's so sympathetic to the soldiers that mm-hmm. are at its heart mm-hmm. and the war is so political, you know, in the macro sense, but it's so empathic towards its subjects. Um, and I didn't mm-hmm. really get a heavy political vibe one way or another. There is a zero, right. There is zero political vibe in the film. And that was, uh, that was extremely, um, that was extremely, um, I would say purposeful. When we tested the film, we asked that question, does the film have a pro red or pro pro blue approach and it was the only time i've ever seen a question at research screenings get a 100 percent response which is it's apolitical it doesn't have a political point of view um nor it would have been stupid for us to have a political point of view we we may be um sort of question military decision making but that's neither here nor there but i i will tell you guys that the people that i respect most in this country um, are the military liberals, you know, uh, the people, and I'm saying that because I myself am a liberal, um, and I think that in the military world, you know, there are a surprisingly large amount of, of liberals. It's, it is an absolute cliche to think that, it's, that these are a bunch of conservatives. In fact, I think when the dust settles, 
you'll see that Biden probably won the military vote uh, this time around. A little bit unusual for the Democrat to, to win the, the the military vote, but you know the uh, you know the military is made up uh, you know huge chunk of the military is made up of minorities. The military itself is sort of socialistic. You you know you get free education for your kids. You get you know free housing. You get you know, all your medical uh, taken care of. Yeah. It's a socialist program for the United States. The entire Department of it Defense is. is a socialist program. Let's be honest. Right. And so, so you know, so if you think about it logically, it's a rather, it's a rather liberal you know, organization. And I am, you know, I, I am, you know, really, really proud of my military background. And I think that it's completely in unison with my progressive thinking. But, you know, when we made the outpost, you know, we didn't have to stress any of that. You know, we should just love these men who go out there for us. They get paid very little. Um, many of them have died for us. Many of them have been badly wounded and obliterated physically and mentally for that matter by having served. And, you know, it's, these are, these are great, great human beings. And, I have nothing but love and and the utmost respect for them. Hey, does every film critic want to be a filmmaker? I, I I don't think so. I don't think so. But there are but there are definitely a lot that uh, that do. I, I will tell you this: we are probably the entertainment journalists are probably the only sect of journalism that thinks that they can do a better job than the people that they are covering. You know, it's like when, uh, you know, very few uh, sports writers think that they can go out there and, and actually run the 100-yard dash and, or even be a coach. And very few political writers actually want to be the secretary, uh, secretary of State. And very few business writers think that they can become the CEO of, you know, Google. But almost every film critic um, thinks that they can make a better movie, than, and they probably can. I mean, there are a lot of really, really smart uh, film critics out there, and a lot of film critics do have screenplays that are um, that they have um, in in their drawers. And I have uh, three. Can I pitch them to you right now? No, no, you, can, no. You, 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 you know what? You know what? You absolutely that must be. Dope. What about a big wager on your next movie? What are you working on? Well, I, I wrote a, I've got a, there are, first of all, I, I seem to have been offered almost every war film that has been, uh, <laughs> that, that is out there right now. Unsurprising. And there's a very good, Ryan, there's a very good chance uh, I will take one of them. I have a, a meeting later today, a true story in a meeting with the, the, the very famous person that is at the center of it. But I, um, but I also wrote a screenplay uh, called Remember the Future. And uh, we found the financing for it, and so now I'm casting it. And as soon as we can figure out a way to actually film it, we're going to go right to it. So I'm, you know, I'm really, really excited about that as well. Can you tease us with like a one-liner about it or not? It's, um, it's a, um, yeah, I, I would say it's uh, like a, it's a modern noir film. It's uh, Chinatown and True Romance combined. Maybe, <laughs> Brilliant. If that makes any. If that makes any sense. What a lovely callback to James Gandolfini and that reference just there. And look. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, he had that beautiful moment in True Romance where he looks at Patricia Arquette and tells her, 
you're just so adorable. You got and a lot of heart, just, kid. <laughs> oh God, it's so it's so great. Yeah, it's just so great. He was so good in that film. God, I really I really miss that son of a gun. And uh, you know, world is uh, the cinema world and the TV world is really missing something with him gone. Well, we hope to get it all back to normal soon. In the meantime, Rod Lurie, you have been uh, a very special guest of ours on the Accutron Show, and thank you so much for joining. And I guess now we get to say that's a wrap. (laughs) That's a wrap. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Rod. On behalf of Cool Hunting's David Graver and Bon Vivant Scott Alexander, I'm Bill McCuddy for the Accutron Show. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Accutron Show. To hear all our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. For upcoming guests as well as behind-the-scenes action, follow us on Instagram at AccutronWatch. From the 29th floor of the Empire State Building, until next time, Accutron time. Set your tuning forks.